The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. take time each week to just pray through uh, usually a different church, to be honest with you. We pray for sister churches in our uh, local area, uh, but we just wanted to pray for 2023, uh, not praying for anything other than the, for God to be glorified, but we pray, especially if you're a Tower View member, we've talked through a lot of things that we have goals set for, from bylaws to outreach to fellowships to growing and just so much to tackle this year. Whether we check those lists or not, the greatest thing is whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we, we glorify God and we seek to glorify and bring glory to his name. So as we pray, we just prayed again. You know, oftentimes, if you, if you go to churches, you can go through a whole service with maybe one or two prayers being prayed. I appreciate all the folks who come and help pray before service and during Wednesday night and all. And they say your church is only as good as the people praying for it. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher of years gone by, uh, used to take people to his boiler room. And uh, back in those days in England, that they had literal boiler rooms. It was the furnace where they put the coal in, and it would burn and, and of course, heat the, the area. But he'd always take his people down to an area where there was, at times, perhaps hundreds of people praying for the ministry of the Word to be done. And Spurgeon often said when people would thank him and say, what can we do for you? He said, pray for me. Because your prayers are what is, makes it possible to do what God is doing. And so as we kick off 2023 as it is, may we continue to pray. So will you join me in prayer this morning? Let's go before our Lord and uh, let's pray. And after that, we'll be in our, our sermon series. Uh, we'll continue on where we've been the last year in the book of Hebrews. We'll pick that up. Let's pray together. Father, your word does say as Jesus laid his right hand on John in Revelation 1.17, he told John, fear not, uh, I am. So, Lord, as we come to you in this 2023, we're not looking for a pithy slogan or a catchy phrase to rally around. Lord, we only need those time-tested eternal words, fear not, I am. That is the affirmation that you gave John, and it is a promise for generations to come, and we know that. So, Lord, if you only said fear not, that would follow us back to who we are, that we are weak, we are needy, we are always in constant flux, but Father, because you are the great I am, that changes everything. Our fears are real as a church, our fears are real as families and as individuals, but Lord, you are 10,000 times greater, as we have just sung, than any of that. You alone are worthy of our absolute trust and worthy of our absolute praise every day, no matter what is going on, who's around us, or what may lie ahead. So Father, what do we do? We remind ourselves of what the gospel is as we start out in 2023. We were sinners. We deserve the worst. We deserve your wrath. But yet in your son, as we just celebrated in Christmas, Father, you sent forth, Father, the, the Savior of the world, the mission. He came to seek and to save those who were lost. He didn't come to do anything else except to, to die for us, to honor you first, Father, and to, to, to glorify your name. But secondly, to include us. So on that cross, when he said it was finished, he meant it. He wasn't joking. He wasn't kidding around. He meant it, and the wrath of God was fully poured out. And in that burial and in the resurrection, three days later, he rose again, ascended on high, is seated at your right hand, and is coming again. Father, what are we to fear? So, Father, you are, as you say in John, you are the bread of life. You're the light of the world. You're the door of the sheep. Lord, you are the resurrection and the life, the good shepherd, the way, the truth, and the life, and you are the true vine. So, Father, whatever we need, there will be more of you. Whatever we fear, there will be more of you. Whatever we ask, your hand is enough to provide for. So, Lord, in all these things, your perfect love will cast out fear because you have gone before us, not just in some superficial health, wealth, prosperity way, but, Lord, your very self in your Son has gone to us. Thank you, Lord, that while we were yet sinners, Christ did indeed die for us. As we study this morning, may Christ be exalted. May we learn more of you. May we learn more about how to serve each other and ultimately to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray all this in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. Well, if you have your Bible this morning and if you're visiting with us, we are in a, uh, literally, this marks the year to the day 
where we last picked it up. It was actually January 2nd, I do believe. But we started the book of Hebrews. And probably about 80% of our Sundays, we've been in the book of Hebrews. And if you are a regular Tower View folk, I don't have the usual slides up. They look a little different. So we're trying to up the game a little bit. But we are in Hebrews 11, 20 through 22. And we are picking this up. And just to give you the full picture, you can find it on our website. But we are trying to finish. Hear the word trying, right? Sometimes we might slow down. But we are trying to finish Hebrews in a God-glorifying way by mid-April, mid to late April. And so we have chapter 11 to go. We have chapter 12. And then we get to chapter 13, where one verse can literally become a sermon. And that's what some of them will be, because it's just so packed. Uh, You just cannot but go through what it is. And we love to study the Bible verse by verse, phrase by phrase, item by item, line by line, the best we can. It's God's word. It's not our word. It's not what I want to preach about is what the Bible says. And so we pray we do that to his honor and to his glory. Before we stand to read, I just want to remind you where we've been. The book of Hebrews, we are, we've been in chapter 11 since about Thanksgiving time, give or take. And he's reminding these Hebrew Christians about the persecution that is coming. And they're in it. But now he's taking them and he's talking specifically. He's bringing up Hebrews 11, the Hall of Faith, the Hall of Fame, you may have heard it called, to call these people who are not yet Christian but are among the Christians to come all the way to Jesus Christ. You all know people like that in your life. There are people that come and they, they hear the word, they, they're interested in spiritual things, but they've never fully committed their life to Jesus Christ. And how many kings did Paul talk to in his day who they loved to hear about righteousness and self-control and the coming of the Lord, but when he called them to faith, they would say, how quickly do you think you can make me a Christian, Paul? And so these folks here, as he's reminding them of the great heroes of the faith, if you will, he's showing them that even these people, with all their warts, all their sins, all their backslidings, were still saved the same way we are today. And how are you saved if you're saved here today? By faith alone, in Christ alone, by his grace alone, as revealed in the scripture alone, to the glory of God alone, the five solos as we say them. So today, we are doing a three-in-one. I told you last week, and some of you asked about this, my recommendation is if you get shampoo, conditioner, and body wash, the three-in-one, it's the best thing ever. It really is. It just mixes it in. Well, guess what? You get Isaac, you get Jacob, and you get Joseph, three-in-one today. You ready for that? If you're able to stand this morning, will you join us as we start reading in chapter 11, verses 20 through 21, 22, excuse me. And we are going to each point of the sermon as one of these guys. It is going to be a fire hydrant approach today. Sorry, but we want, to get, we want to get through these folks, but we also want to cover these folks. It's always a balance, but by God's grace, we, sh- we shall. Verse 20 is what the writer of Hebrews, whomever he was, says. He says, by faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph bowing in worship over the head of his staff. And finally, by faith, verse 22, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave direction concerning his bones. What in the world does that have to do with you on New Year's Day 2023 in our church and the world today? We're getting there. Hang on. If you're taking notes, those will be up on the screen. But let's pray together that God is lifted high one more time before you're seated. Will you join me in prayer? Father, bless the reading of your word this morning. It is your word. It's not political commentary. It's not the latest sports analysis. It's not the local news about who did this or who did what. It is your word, infallible, inerrant, inspired, authoritative, sufficient. It's all those things that we know it to be. So, Father, by your grace and through your spirit, would you challenge us, convict us? Would you draw us to be more like Christ? If there's any in this room or the sound of my voice that doesn't know Jesus, that, Lord, you would help them unscale their eyes as you did Paul and the blind man in John 9. Draw them to yourself as only you can. Father, we are simply just the messengers. Move us out of the way. Spirit, would you work through their lives to draw them to that end? We love you, Lord, as we look at these saints of old who had their problems but trusted in the same God. Would you teach us what it is you'd have for us today? Not just to be good moral people, be like Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, but all together pointing to the greatest one that has come, your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Maybe seated this morning. Well, there is, uh, and this picture up here is a little funny because it's just a picture of a bed. 
But these last three patriarchs, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, and we call them patriarchs because they were the, the, the male heads of, of the ancient families, and they were the trusted ones. But every promise that God gave them, they trusted until their very, very death. And that is the test of anyone's faith. Someday, the CDC says, 10 out of 10 people are going to die. Did you know that? But the acid test of anyone's faith is what your faith looks like when you die. For non-Christians, when they die, there is nothing but panic. Voltaire, the great philosopher, I say great in the human's eyes, said this. He said, I'm abandoned by God and man. I shall go to hell. Oh, Jesus, help me. And the story says he died. H.G. Wells, the great author on his deathbed, was supposedly said, I have no peace. All life is at the end. King Charles IX, the uh, king of France during the revolution of the French Revolution, late 1700s, said, quote, What blood, what evil counselors I followed all my life, and none of them told me about this Jesus. I am lost. And yet if you're a Christian, if you know God, then you can say with John Leslie, we die well. Or you can say with Martin Luther how different, he said on his death, that our God is the God who comes with salvation even at death. Or you can say with Richard Baxter, the great English Puritan pastor, he said, I have pain now, but I have peace because of my Lord. What a difference it makes, isn't it, to know the Lord Jesus Christ when you die. And these patriarchs, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, even Esau, even these men, they didn't know all the details. They didn't see it all as we see it now in Scripture, but they trusted in the promises of God. And what we need to know, Christian, is that you need not fear death because Jesus has conquered death. May we remind ourselves what Romans 15.4 says to us. Whatever was written in the scriptures long ago was written through and for our instruction. And they give us hope and encouragement to wait patiently as the promises of God are to be fulfilled. So as we look at these guys today, I want you to know that these three held their faith fast to the end. And that is the question. How do you know if you're saved? Jesus said he or she who endures to the end will be saved. If you're a Christian, what you profess today will hold you on the day you are no longer in this world. So is your faith worth dying for today? You know, are the promises of God your security in a time and a place where you have no security around you, it seems? And how will you die? Will you die frightened, angry, kicking and screaming? Or will you be at peace as these men were in Christ the big idea today is simply this. The big idea is just a simple summary of the sermon of the passage before us is that a faith worth living for is a faith worth dying for. A faith worth living for is a faith worth dying for. Look, you're going to face disappointments in life. Church, we are going to be disappointed. We will disappoint each other. But the reality is, is that God will never disappoint you. He is a God who keeps his promises. And you can grab a hold of his grace today. You can trust his presence. You can trust his promises. And you can trust his provision because he provides all the way. And these men, Isaac, Jacob, the first two especially, who were wishy-washy at times in their faith, at the very end held on to hundreds of year old promises. And Christian, that's what we do today. Because people look around and they say, where's the coming of your Lord Jesus? It's been 2,000 years. And yet by the eyes of faith, we look and hold on to he's coming. Just wait. Friday may have passed, but Sunday's coming is what the old guys used to say. And so what we need to know today, I want you to see three lives of faith that will encourage you to keep on keeping on, to live the life of faith that is worth dying for. The first man I want you to see this morning is Isaac, and he is an unremarkable life of faith, an unremarkable life of faith. This is Isaac, unremarkable life of faith. To be honest with you, Isaac doesn't have much uh, uh, scripture in Scripture. He has about two chapters, two or three chapters dedicated to him, but mainly he was the one who lived the longest among the old patriarchs. He lived to be 183 years old. Yet there's less written about him than there is Abraham, Jacob, and Joseph. He has 2.5 chapters if you want to be exact about it. But he had personal disobedience. He had personal favorites. He, he loved his son Esau more than he loved his son Jacob. He had moral compromise. He was a coward at times. And there's very little about him. But the point of his life, what the writer of Hebrews is expressing, is that despite whatever failures that there are in life, there are common denominators that God takes to use in people's lives. And that is an unfailing trust in his unfailing 
word. God doesn't offer any details about his life except in one passage. I want you to hold your spot there for a second. Would you turn with me to Genesis 27? You are in a new year, and you need new exercise, right? So you're going to exercise your hands this morning. Hold your spot in Hebrews 11. Turn to Genesis chapter 27, and we'll put up on the screen the next little overview. But I want you to see this famous story that you probably know well. Genesis 27, we're not going to read it in its entirety. It's more for you to visually see it, to read it later on your own time. If you're on a Bible reading program, that's going to be in about three weeks or so uh, if you go straight through the Bible. But in verses 1 to 4, as you will see, in verses 1 to 4, it speaks about his dying. Isaac feels, it says in verse 1, Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so he could not see. He feels like he's dying. Yet we know from the scripture he will live actually another 43 years. So Genesis, as we know about Isaac, is that he's dying. And through this time, he wants to bless his son. That'll be repeated down in verse 7 as well. And I'm not going to read all this, just summarizing here. But he tells his son Esau to go and get him the best game. Esau's the man's man, right? He's the Rambo of the family. He can just look at something and it dies and he cooks it in the, you know, he just takes it out there. He's, Chuck Norris had nothing on Esau, I think, or something like that. But Genesis tells us that Esau went to go get him some game. And in doing so, this man, well, I'll just put it this way. Some men, people eat to live and some live to eat, but he is the latter of this group. As he feels himself dying, he wants a good meal before he goes. So he sends Esau out. But he also knows from Genesis 25 that Esau is not the chosen son. Remember, Esau and Jacob are the sons of Isaac. And, and Jacob was holding on, as it were, to the, the leg of, of, of Esau when they came out. But God told Rebekah in Genesis 25, 23, two nations are in your room, two people will come forth. But it says the younger, excuse me, the older shall serve the younger. And so as he is dying, he says, I want something. So you, down, you go down to verse 5 and down to verse 17, and you start to see the scheming. Jacob, who's a mama's boy, and I don't mind saying that. He was. He was in the kitchen. Nothing wrong with cooking. We have a son who loves to cook. There's nothing wrong with that. But Esau was Isaac's favorite, and Jacob apparently was Rebekah, Isaac's wife's favorite. But nobody wanted to be like Rebekah. She was prideful. She was no one's role model. She wanted her own way. And while Esau went to hunt the game, she hears about what's going to happen. And so she starts to concoct a plan. She knows what's going to work. She knows that she puts in the right sauce, so to speak, and puts the right meat in, that, that she can get Jacob to get in there to get the blessing before Esau does. She's like an overly zealous soccer mom who's had a little too many uh, lattes at Starbucks. She just can't seem to keep her hands out of anything. And the point is, is that she's fulfilling God's will in the devil's way. As Isaac cannot see, this mother is trying to scheme. And, and so she brings Jacob in, and, and she tells him in verse 13, whatever happens to you, let the curse fall on me. Just, just get in there. You need to get the blessing before your brother. You know what? Even though she knows the right truth about God, it doesn't mean that she's doing it in the right way. She's forcing God's will, and we do not force God's will, guys. Mothers, your influence goes great, but she was willing to get her will done, even if it became a curse for Jacob. So then we skip down to verses 18 through 29. And this is where Jacob goes in. Do you remember this story? Her mom, his mom, Rebecca, tells him to put on goat skins and, and, and because Esau was a hairy man. And, and so he puts on the goat skins, and he goes in with this great stew. And Esau has not come back. Isaac cannot hear. He goes in. And verses 18 through 29 basically tell us what John 8, 44 says, that you are of your father, the devil. This is lying from the beginning. Jacob lies. Isaac asks him because Jacob's voice might sound like this. And Esau sounds like this. And Isaac says, Esau, my son, you sound like Jacob, but you feel like Esau. You remember the story? So he lies about that. And then he said, how did you get back so quickly from the field? And Jacob said, well, God must, God provides. When you invoke the name of God in your lies, you have gotten in some spiritual mess, my friends. And then he finally takes the Lord's name in vain to the lie to the point where he says that he's Esau again. All this scheming, 
all this deceiving. And finally, Isaac blesses Jacob, thinking that he's Esau. You remember the rest of the story, don't you? It would be that Esau comes back, and this is in verses, the rest of the chapter, Esau comes back and yells and screams, uh, how could you have given the blessing of the firstborn to my brother Jacob? And he's ready to kill his brother Jacob. And this isn't just some fight over a toy. This is real stuff. And Jacob runs away at his mom's bequest. But Isaac, Isaac, despite all of this, has a faith in God that will bless him and will bless the one. Turn to chapter 28. I want you to see this. Notice that Esau, as you know the story well, Esau gets mad and he, he has no more blessing for, for Esau, Isaac does. But Jacob, before he gets ready to go out, he tells uh, Isaac, then Isaac, chapter 28, verse 1, called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise and go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father. And, and verse 3, God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you. Even though Isaac gave the blessing to the wrong one, God's sovereign hand was in every bit of this. And now I want you to go back to chapter 11 of Hebrews. How does this relate? Go back there, if you will. How did Isaac have faith? He gave the wrong blessing. He favored the wrong son. He gave all his preference to a son who is not the son of promise. So how does Isaac, this unremarkable man of faith, have faith? Well, first, he had a personal faith, and you'll see this on the screen. He had a personal faith. Notice chapter 11 and verse 20. By faith, Isaac. Isaac had to choose for himself that he was going to see God bless his son Jacob, even though Jacob deceived and lied about the blessing that God was going to work through it. And I want you to know it is not the quality of your faith that saves you or holds you up. It is the object of your faith that holds you up. Isaac was trusting that his faith would save him or that Jacob's faith would save them, it wouldn't be enough. Church, I want to remind you this morning, if you're here today, you are not saved because you are holding on to Christ. You are saved because Christ is holding on to you. And when Jacob and Esau and Rebekah and Isaac had all that, I mean, it made Jerry Springer look like a, a, a simple show of like, uh, leave it to beaver. If you want to put it in modern terms. It was a mess of a family. But despite all that, in chapter 28, Isaac had faith that despite his mishandling, as it were, of his whole life and faith, God was still going to use him. There was a personal faith. But there was also, secondly, a perspective faith. Look at verse 20 again of Hebrews 11. By faith, Isaac, what did he do? He invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. He invoked future blessings. It's a reminder to us that Jesus didn't die for some future, fixed-up, all-put-together version of yourself. He died for the person that you are, and he is always going to love you where you are, the real you. God loved Jacob, and he hated Esau, Romans 9 says. That's a whole other sermon for a whole other time, church. But I will say this. God loved those people despite the choices they made and the character they had. And he loves you just the same. Don't ever forget that. Despite who you are, what you've done, and what you might bring to the table, he still loves you. And it was a perspective faith. The future thought of the faith in Isaac, he knew that his, his son, Jacob, the younger, would be over the older. And that's a pattern of scripture, and we'll see that in Joseph. But I want you to know, finally, there was a positive faith that he had. He didn't end with it, which is giving future blessing. There was a positive faith. There was a faith that said the blessing is coming, that despite all the mess of my family and myself, Isaac trusted that God's promises would reign supreme. It's a reminder to you today as well that your hope isn't in the strength of your faith, but in the sovereign God who is unstoppable and his commitment to you and his plan for you will always be the best for you. As you enter 2023, Christian, you may look back on 2022 and say, man, woulda, shoulda, coulda. Or maybe you go back even more years than that. Woulda, shoulda, coulda. I'm here to tell you, and I appreciate Brother Brian mentioning this. Every day is a new mercy in God's sight. Amen? It is. And if Isaac can trust God's promises despite his sin, God did not honor his sin. God did not celebrate his sin. God did not put a stamp of approval on it, as some people in churches do with clearly revealed sins in the Bible. 
but I want you to know that God worked despite it. And it was a positive faith that he could even bless Jacob despite all his scheming and conniving. And guys, I want you to know we do that too. God, if you just give me this, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. God, if you just answer my prayer right now, I'll, I'll, I'll share the gospel with five more people. Whatever it is in your life, we all do it. But despite his unremarkable life of faith, he trusted in the promises of God. Check Isaac. You ready to go to number two? Let's go to Jacob. Look at verse 21. And it says, Hebrews eleven twenty one. it says, by faith, Jacob, when dying. Stop right there. Have you noticed the theme here? All these men are at the end of their life. Why does the author of Hebrews not talk about the bad stuff? Is he glossing it over? No, because the, what really matters is that when you die, what does your life say about you? Have you trusted Christ or have you not? I have no idea what that thief on the cross did for all the years before his time, but the one thing I do know about that thief on the cross, he trusted Christ at just the right time. But here's a man, and you'll see this, an unsteady faith in Jacob. And you have an unremarkable guy in Isaac and an unsteady faith in Jacob. If you are able to hold your spot there, I told you you're going to flip a lot today. Would you go back to Genesis chapter 47? Genesis chapter 47. And we'll go to verse 31. I'll be honest with you, I talked to Pastor Nelson and Pastor Brian about this week. I debated whether to do this in three sermons uh, you know, you probably could, and there are other men that I looked at who broke this up this way, but I think we can get through this because there, but there's just so much here. We're only, we're, we're skimming the surface of what's really happening. But this unsteady faith of Jacob comes into bear. And I want to remind you that Jacob, uh, you, and we'll get this in with Joseph, but you remember Jacob had his sons. They sold Joseph into slavery. They told Jacob that he was dead. You remember that story? Because uh, Joseph was the favored son of Jacob, like father did with Esau, Isaac to Esau, Jacob did with Joseph. It, it runs the line. But at the end of his life, in verse, uh, starting actually in verse 29 of chapter 47, this is what happens to Jacob. They're in Egypt. They're, he's getting ready to die. And this is what happens. Genesis 47, 29. And when the time drew near that Israel, that's Jacob, Israel and Jacob, same name, must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, if now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Don't bury me in Egypt, verse 30, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. He answered, I will do as you have said. And he swore, swore to me and he swore to him. And this is the phrase the writer of Hebrews picks up. Notice this. Then Israel or Jacob bowed himself upon the head of his bed. You may have this word staff there. What I want you to see this morning is what happened in Jacob's life towards the end is that God desired for him to leave a spiritual legacy, not just a financial one, not just a, a moral one, but a level-headed legacy. And you will notice, and we'll have this up on the screen, that he had a personal faith. You can go back to Hebrews chapter 11, if you will. Hebrews chapter 11 has that calling card again, by faith. Jacob looked back over his life. He looked over what he did to his father. He looked over about his relationship with his, his, his uncle, Laban, and that's a whole story. He looked at all the way he treated his sons and his wives and all his dealings, but he still had a personal faith in his God. Despite all that he was, despite all that he had done, he knew that his God was there. It wasn't his grandfather's faith, Abraham. It wasn't his daddy's faith, Isaac. It was his faith. Now, he was connected to the greater body of believers. There's no lone Christian or lone ranger believer. But like of us, he had to submit to the word of God. And in doing so, he was changed. Christian or friend, if you're here today, and if your life has not been changed by the risen Jesus, can I tell you, you have never truly come to know Jesus Christ. There was a man in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 7, named Simon, who got really excited because he saw all the miracles happening with the, with, the, with the disciples. He was a magician, and he said, I want some of that, and he gets baptized. Some of you remember the story, and he gets into this, and eventually the, the apostles call him out, and they basically say, you son of the devil. You're in it for the money. You want to be a Christian because you know there's a business opportunity before you. He didn't have a faith. He had money signs in his eyes trying to find his way. But Jacob, at the end of his life, He's like a person, well, 
It wasn't Southwest Airlines, if you caught up with this week, but Jacob had to have a ticket to get on the plane, so to speak, and his flight wasn't canceled. Weather didn't delay it. The only way you can get to heaven, friend, here today is if you yourself believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other way. You can't be saved. Young kids, and I'm speaking to my own three, my wife uh, helps with every week. If you're a young child here today, can I just remind you, young boy, young girl, your dad and your mom have brought you here today, maybe grandma or grandpa, praise the Lord for that. Thank you, faithful adults, for doing that. But you yourself have to make a decision someday to come to know Jesus. You have to. It's not something we can give you. You have to make that. It's a personal faith. But notice also that Jacob had, in verse 21 here, he had a preserving faith when dying. When dying. It says, Jacob, by faith, when dying. How many people, when they retire out, is that even a possibility? Can we retire these days? Is that even going to happen anymore with all the financial stuff? But as he comes to the final scene of his life, he wasn't slowing down spiritually, even though he was slowing down physically. If you're a Christian here today, I want to remind you, no matter how old you are, no matter if you're a widow or a widower or a stay-at-home mom or stay-at-home grandma, whatever you are, you never get to retire from the Christian life. When Jacob looked over his life, he knew that his one sole responsibility was to communicate what his grandfather Abraham told his daddy Isaac, what his dad Isaac has told him, and what he had been telling his sons for years and years and years and years, that the blessing would come through the family. We don't retire. Your greatest days of serving the Lord for some of you are ahead of you. The greatest days are not behind you. In church, can I say a word for us as well? We celebrated 60 years back in September. Doesn't that seem like a lifetime ago? Just in time and space. The greatest days of any church are always ahead. Not because of who's in the pulpit or what strategies we have. Because God is in charge and leading us and leading us out. And that's what we trust. And he did even to his dying breath. He was, had a personal faith, a persevering faith. But did you remember what he did when he told the blessing to Jacob? He had a praising faith. That'll be the next one there. A praising faith. And it's said there, and it's quoting, as it is in, in, in Hebrews 11, that he leaned on his staff. He leaned on his staff. God's word is often the tuning fork of which our hearts are to sing praise. Jacob could look back and he could have the devil talking in his ear about all the sin that he did, that God had forgiven and all those things. But the one thing he did at the very end of his life, he could hardly get himself out of bed. He could hardly do anything, but he leaned on his staff or he leaned on the bed. And he praised God and he worshiped God that despite all his sin, despite all that he had done in his family and all his family had done to their own family, he could praise the Lord. Church today... A lot of us look back at our lives and think, if I would have grown up in this family, if I would have grown up in that family, if I would have, look, God's providence puts you where you are at times. You made choices, yes, and sometimes those choices took you places, but ultimately God has been guiding your whole life. And if God can guide Jacob's life through a lot of mess, let me tell you that he can guide your life through a lot of mess too. But the point is, is that even at the very end, he leaned on his staff and he praised God for what he had done. But notice the end of the verse there, verse 21. It didn't just end with praise himself. He did what Isaac did to him. He blessed. There's a prosperous faith. It says that he blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. He bowed before them, and he gave them a blessing. This was a spiritual blessing. This is the last scene that he draws upon. Jacob is the one who saw the angels ascending and descending, as it were, from heaven. He's the one that, that is mentioned time and time again about the, who wrestled with God. He's had so many good things in his life. But at the very end, he blesses the people and the nation. We did not read it, but down in, in Genesis 48, he goes on to say that there will be a great nation and there will be a great land. The great nation is Israel. The great land is the promised land. And Jacob would not see to that end. But Jacob had not lived to see the fulfillment of it. And Jacob, God turned away from the older son of Joseph, Manasseh, to the younger son to fulfill that the younger again would serve the older. And God would do that. But I want you to know that God did not choose out of favoritism. God did not do any of that. He chose out of his sovereign will. 
And his sovereign will was is that the younger would serve the older. And I want you to know that that is how God looks at us too. God did not choose you in salvation in Christ because you had anything to bring to the table. He chose you because he loved you, Deuteronomy 7 says. We love because he first loved us. But the faith of Jacob, he bestows a blessing and a blessing that would come to bear in his son Joseph as he lived out the rest of his days. So you have an unsteady man, Isaac. You have an un, pretty much unremarkable life with Isaac, excuse me, an unsteady Jacob. But finally, I want you to see number three. We'll close with this. I want you to see the unsinkable life of faith that is Joseph. The unsinkable life of faith. Isn't it interesting, church, that often that someone in your family comes to know Jesus for the first time and it just seems to get better with time, that the longer it goes, the more faithful people seem to be. It doesn't always work like that in families, but it's unmistakable that Abraham is the great-grandfather of Joseph. Abraham is the father of Isaac. Isaac is the father of Jacob. Jacob is the father of Joseph. And when you get down to Joseph, it gets really seriously committed to God. And if you're in a first-generation Christian family, hang on. Your family may not be believing today, but if there's any evidence from these scriptures about the faithfulness of God, it is that if you are faithful to him, he'll be faithful by his grace to share the gospel amongst people. And you never know what he will do with that. Look, you can't change a person's heart. Only God can do that. You can't force them in. We tried that in the Crusades. We tried that in the Inquisitions. Don't go there. Read your history. The only thing that can change a heart is God working upon a heart. But don't discount what a faithful life can be, even if you're the only Christian around. Because this is what Jacob found as he lived in great detail. Verse 22 says this, By faith Joseph, at the end of his life, notice the death reference again, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites, and gave direction concerning his bones. Let me, give you the, let me give you the cliff note version of Joseph. You remember him? We know he's the son of Jacob. About the age of 17, he starts having these dreams. And these dreams come up where all the people will be bowing down, specifically his brothers before him. And he tells that to his brothers, and they were happy with that, weren't they? They were so happy to receive that news. No, of course they weren't. They got so mad, didn't they, that they conspired to kill him. They threw him in a pit. They sell him to the uh, Ishmaelite traders. Joseph spends at least probably 13 years in prison. Uh, and, or excuse me, he, at least 13 years before he's elevated. During that time, he, he's the head of Potiphar's household. Potiphar sees God blesses him. Potiphar's wife comes along and tries to take advantage of that situation. And by God's grace, he says, no. Men, can I remind you, put every stop on your phone, put everything on your computer. Don't let images ruin your life. Job 31.1, I made a covenant with my eyes that I would not look at a woman lustfully. Joseph doesn't do that. He gets imprisoned uh, wrongfully. He goes in prison, and the, the master of the prison gives him responsibility, and he, he, he meets the baker and the cupbearer, and he gives the interpretation of their dreams, and he says, remember me. God remembered him, but they did not. Until one day, Pharaoh has a dream, doesn't he? You remember the story. And God, through the providence of him, works through one of the servants and says, there's a man in prison who's an interpreter of dreams. And Joseph interprets the dream of Pharaoh, and you know the rest of the story, don't you? He gets elevated to second in command, and those dreams said there'd be seven years of famine and seven years of drought, and, and bad, or seven years of prosperous, seven years of drought and famine and bad. And he stores up all this food, and his brothers come down and... You just go read it. It's worth your time. The point of it is, through all these things, Joseph had a perseverance of faith. And you'll see this on the screen. He had a perseverance of faith. By Joseph, by faith, Joseph at the end of his life. Joseph was wrongfully accused. Joseph was misunderstood. Joseph had every reason to be angry at God. And there may have been moments he was that are not recorded in Scripture. But for what we know, he had an unsinkable trust in God. In Genesis 50, 20, he says that famous verse that everyone quotes well when he's talking to his brothers. What you meant for evil, God meant for what, church, do you remember? For good. And, and Romans 8, 28 tells us God works all things for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. There's a perseverance of faith given to Joseph. And he was given this. 
perseverance of faith by God's grace. And I want to remind you what I said at the first, that death is the acid test of faith. For the Christian, there is still a lamenting of death. We should be sad if someone passes away. But at the same time, there should be no fear of death. Hebrews 12, 14 and 15. Go to the next chapter, will you? Just a chapter over. Let me read these with you. Hebrews 12, 14 and 15. He says, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace and that no bitterness springs up and causes trouble and that it may become defiled. Look, you have no reason to fear death if you're walking with the Lord in holiness. If you're visiting with us, we believe firmly the scripture teaches that you, or if you are in Christ, you are held in Christ forever and ever and ever. And there's no one, as we read at the start, Romans 8, that can pluck you out of his hand. But the truth of the matter is, is that some of us, we are so fearful of death. Christian, there is a real fear. I mean, I don't want... You, a lot of y'all know I run. I run outside in the dark of the morning nights. The other day, I ran across a bobcat, uh, not an actual bobcat, but a bobcat uh, um, a carcass. It's like, well, I run out of that area a lot, and uh, that's not something I want to come across at f- four in the morning. I mean, I don't know if I'm going to die by a bobcat or just pass out of a heart attack running a marathon. I don't know which. But the point is, what, there is some fear that you have. How is it going to go? But as it goes with your soul, If you are in Christ by faith, like Joseph trusted when he was dying, you have nothing to fear because you are held by the God who holds all life together. But I want you to see also here what happens, that he had pillars of faith. Notice what he did. Why did he have confidence at his death, this Joseph, this unsinkable faith? He had some pillars of faith. He says at the end of verse 22, the writer of Hebrews says, he made mention of the exodus of the Israelites. What was Joseph's? Holding on to, what was he doing? Joseph was holding on to a promise that his great-granddaddy, Abraham, had received 200 years ago. I won't take you there for sake of time. But in Genesis 15, 13 13 through 15, I want you to hear this. God said to Abraham, know for certain, almost like Jesus saying, truly, truly, that your descendants will be strangers in a land, and they will be restrained and enslaved for 400 years. But I, God speaking, will judge the nation, speaking of Egypt, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. And if you know your history, they did. They plundered Egypt as they left to go in the wilderness. And Genesis 15, 15 says to Abraham, As for you, you will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. And in the fourth generation, roughly about 100 years a generation, 400 years, They shall return to the promised land. Well, guess what? When Joseph dies, he knows for sure that the exodus is coming because he trusted God's word. Joseph remembered at the death of his life, end of his life, that God's word would come to bear. And let me tell you, friend, there is no greater comfort to someone in a hospital or on a deathbed than the word of God. I can give them all the hallmark sayings, all the one-liners I want, But the greatest comfort that brings to hospital visits or anywhere persons are struggling is the word of God, even if they're not a Christian. So your what-ifs will lie to you, but God's promises to you are always reliable and true. And Christian, what are some promises you can hang on to? 1 Corinthians 15, 53. For this perishable must be put away, and this immortal must be put on immortality. Death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? Paul writes, thanks be to God who gives victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. For the Christian, death is represented as going to sleep. Not soul sleep, as seven-day Adventists believe, but when we die, we pass into eternity peacefully because Christ is our peace. 2 Corinthians 5, 8, you know this well, to be absent from the what? The body is to be present with the Lord. There's no purgatory There's no soul sleep. There's no annihilationalism. You don't just cease to be, thanks to Jehovah's Witnesses. There's no non-existence. You are absent from the body. You are with the Lord. And Joseph trusted that same promise with less detail. Job 19.25, Job said, As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will take a stand on the earth. And after my flesh is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God. What confidence do you have when you die? you will see the Lord. John 14, 2, you know these verses well. Jesus said, in my house are many mansions, 
or houses or dwelling places. If it were not so, I would not have told you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. Where I am, you may be also. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the one before. And as you start 2023, as Joseph trusted in these pillars of faith, these promises given to his great-granddaddy, I want you to know they have not changed for you. If you're looking for a devotional this year to read, and some of you have never read it before, so many of you are Spurgeon fans. Lori, I think of you every time. You're my local Spurgeon expert. There is a book by Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, called Face Checkbook. F-A-I-T-H apostrophe S, faith with an apostrophe S, Face Checkbook. His lesser known thing. We're, uh, read it. It's free online. You can get it emailed to you, but read it. Last thing we're closing with is this. He had a personal faith. He had a persevering faith, but Joseph finally, he was unsinkable because he had a priority of faith. What did he do at the very last? And this sounds funny. Sounds kind of morbid too. Sounds kind of like a CSI meets a criminal minds kind of thing. It's TV gone past. This is what it says. He gave directions concerning his bones. That just sounds a little funny, doesn't it? When you die, you're probably going to have a will and a directive to go be buried or whatever you do, and that, that's fine. But Joseph gave directions concerning his bones. What does that mean? It means simply that God was going to bury him again. Wherever the people of God were, he wanted to be. He wanted to have a priority of his faith. Even in death, Joseph wanted to be around the people of God because he knew that God was blessing his people. And can I put it this way very simply? It is New Year's Day. It's, it's exciting for the holiday and all the things that it are. But I want to remind you that every Lord's Day, there should be a longing and a desire to be with the people of God wherever you are. Church this year, many of us are going to go on vacations, and that's great. Praise the Lord for rest and opportunity. You're going to see family but as we start off this new year, if Joseph can even say, when I'm dead in my bones, can you take me with you to church, so to speak? As much as you are able this year to be around the people of God, be around the people of God. Look, we don't want to be Nazis with attendance here at this church. We don't want to do that, but we do want to do what Hebrews 10.24 says. We've preached on this back in August, and I'll close with this. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. If you are physically able to get to church, whether that is here or another gospel-centered church, wherever you are, get there. Even on a Sunday when you're on vacation, please make it the best effort to get around the Lord's people. You know some of the most encouraging times I can remember on vacations or meeting other Christians at other places at little churches, much like ours, where you don't think the word of God's going to be preached and you find some diamond in the rough preacher that just blows the, the word out by God's grace. You know what I mean? If you've experienced that before, you know. And you just walk in and you feel the warmth. If you're able to find on a vacation or a trip, a business, whatever you got, find yourself among God's people. Why did Joseph have an unsinkable faith? Because even in his death, his very bones would be reburied. And guys, let me tell you, go read Joshua 24. Do you know what they did to his bones? They reburied him. And he was with the people of God forever and ever and ever. Do you have a faith that's worth living for? These three men tell us that it's also worth dying for if you hold on to his promises. Let's close out today. Will you join me in prayer? Fathers, we come to you. This is a fire hydrant approach of about 50 chapters almost, Lord, of Genesis and the lives of the people of Israel, specifically Isaac, the, uh, the man who had an unremarkable life, yet lived by the faith in your promises, of Jacob, who lived the unsteady life, who was like many of us, like the roller coasters at Worlds of Fun across the street. One day we're hot for Christ, we're cold for Christ, and we just kind of go up and down as the tides come and turn. And then we saw Joseph, the man who had an unsinkable faith. He was not perfect, Lord, certainly. He sinned. He made mistakes. They're not recorded as well in Scripture as other patriarchs are, but he did. For all his sin, we know. But Lord, at the same time, his trust in you was even to his death and beyond. Not that he had any right to make those requests, but by your grace was fulfilling the promise that you gave to him that his people would see an exodus, an enslavement, but an ultimate victory in the land. 
Yet all these died in faith, not knowing the promises to come, Hebrews says. But Lord, they see now what we see clearly, that your son, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, came to die for the sins of the world so that we who were far off would be brought near by the blood of Christ. Father, as we go through this new year, would you keep our eyes on a faith worth living for? Pray for all the young people in here, including my three kids who have yet to come to Christ, any else who are visiting or may come in this year, that you would just use them, any adults in here who have yet to come to Christ, that you would draw them to the need of a Savior. Father, that is something only you can do, but by your grace, may it happen. Father, I pray for a church in 2023. May our love for each other and one another increase. May the, uh, one another's passages increase. May we, may we just see a greater fellowship here than ever before, not for any history books or making a Baptist paper or, or, or making headlines, but just to bring praise to your name. But just as Joseph, Isaac, and Jacob reached not only their family, but somehow in your Holy Spirit's work reached to the nations around them, we too pray for Grace Moore and Maple Park, for Randolph Corners, for Clay Como, and whatever neighborhoods we sit foot in and lay our heads down at night in, that the gospel would shine forth through us, not just in steady lives of character, though we do pray for that by your Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit, but we pray also verbally that we would share the gospel, for faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Lord, we pray these things to your glory. Thank you. We love you. Thank you for just the grace we have in Christ. We are forgiven. We're free. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. do. 